everyone, and welcome to the Bits and Bibles podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Collins, and this is episode six, Store It Safe. Today's podcast, we're going to be talking about something very specific. We're going to be talking data storage. Now, just FYI, as with most of our podcasts, this is not going to be an exhaustive of all things data storage. Again, the goal here, just to give you kind of a high level, some good thoughts, some good best practices, just some things to get you going. You know, the kind of the first thing I want to cover is that good data storage is, uh, you know, if there, there's a good chance that if you're working right now in pretty much anything, in any business, in any nonprofit, in any ministry, you've probably got some kind of a document nearby, whether it's a manual, uh, uh, maybe letters, a note, maybe uh, scripts, maybe it's uh, sermons if you're in ministry or, you know, things like that. But you've probably got a document that you can almost instantly think about stored somewhere. You know, maybe you have it stored on your phone or maybe you have it stored on a uh, already on an online storage service or, you know, maybe you have it just about anywhere digital. But more than likely is, you know, as you're listening to this right now, you can think of at least a document. Even those of you that are particularly, particularly untechy, you can probably still think of something, whether it's, again, the notepad even on your phone, or maybe it's something you even text yourself, technically now stored digital as a note. But somewhere you've got documentation. Now, here's the thing. Just like in the days of, you know, paper documents, and I'm not saying paper documents are gone before anybody starts losing their mind. But, you know, in the day bef- back in the day when paper documents were the thing, you know, that was the thing out there. Um, just like back then and still today, it's important to keep your documents stored safely. You know, let's think about what some of those documents could contain. It could be trade secrets. It could be, uh, you know, personal information or medical information or financial information. Uh, it could be a lot of things. You know, there's a lot of documentation out there that, frankly, you don't want somebody else holding. You may want to consider how you're going to handle that too, because it's you hear stories every day of places getting breached or getting hacked or getting whatever term you want to use and their data being taken. And all of a sudden it's just out there for whoever to read. You know, the thing is that you really want to take the time to really put some thought into that as you start working and designing this. The other thing is that you want to build out your data, you want to build out your file storage in a way that is clean and clearly designed because nothing is worse than, where did I put that document? So, you know, a little bit of, you know, getting kind of real here for a second. I am, I'm a piles person a lot of times. I work in piles and it's, it's not great. And I definitely could work on being a lot more organized, but, uh, you know, that's why I'm really thankful for a lot of these platforms having search features. So I'm still working on this one myself, but I'll tell you, as I've gotten more concise with my documentation and how I store it and where I store it, I'll tell you, it's a lifesaver. And I would strongly recommend it for anyone that's doing any amount of data storage. Take a minute, sit down, think about how you want to have it stored. It could be very simple. It could literally be like, uh, let's say in ministry, you have one file, one folder for sermons and then all your sermons underneath that, one folder for taxes and all your tax information underneath that, one folder for prayer requests, you know, and just add from there. But, you know, however you want to do it. Or if you're a nonprofit, maybe you have one 
document that's information and let's say like for letters and one that's for promotionals and one that's for you know financial documentation however you want to build it up but start thinking of clear concise ways to sort your documentation another thing is you really want to do your research like you really want to take some time and research how you where you're going to store your data and to go along with it you not only want to research where to store your data but how you store your data you see, uh, there's a lot of data services out there. Um, for example, we talk about these two a lot on the show. Google Workspace and Office 365 both have ways to, you know, store data in the cloud. But there's also other players out there. There's Dropbox, there's Box, there's Mega, there's other ones. And, you know, each of them have their pluses and their minuses and their promotionals. And use us because, use us because kind of a thing. But regardless, here's the thing is that you want to make sure that your data is A being held by somebody who knows what they're doing and B you're compliant with whatever things you're involved with. You see there's different kinds of, and we'll drill into this a little more here in a bit, but there's a lot of different kinds of uh, different classifications for data. You might have PII, you know, personal, personally identifiable information. And I'm sure there's some people who want to, you know, maybe have a slightly different definition for that, but that's, that's the one I found and that's always the definition I've used. And then, you know, you have uh, PHI, like, pers- you know, protected health information. Um, and there's other classifications. And then not only are you having to look at that, you're needing to look at compliances. Do you have to meet any compliance recommendations? A lot of you probably won't have to deal with this one I'm about to name, but just for example, there's CMMC, but a lot of that deals more with government. There's HIPAA, which pretty much everybody's got. I can't say everybody. There's a lot of people that have to think about HIPAA. Um, there's GD, I think I'm saying the acronym right, GDRP, uh, for all of our friends in Europe. And I know, and again, I'm not an expert on GRD, GDRP, or it's GRDP, one of the two. I'm not an expert on that one. So I would definitely say if you are in anywhere that involves European countries, definitely do a little more Google research. This, I, I don't, I didn't have enough time and research to really give a good, you know, a really good definition on that one so i definitely recommend if you have to deal with that take some time though and look that up you want to know that if you deal with anything involving uh, our friends across the pond in europe um but as you start let's go back real quick to data storage as you start looking at data storage uh, providers here's some things you want to look for when dealing with that and what what makes good what what do you want to look for in a data storage provider uh good reputation and reviews you know What did their customer, what do their current customers think? Are they frequently making innovations and updates and patching their software? You see, the thing is, you got to have a data storage provider that's keeping with the times because there are bad guys out there that are constantly trying to get to your data and they want to do everything within their power to get their hands on your data. And you need somebody on your side, aka the provider, doing everything on their power to keep them out of your data. Another example could be... uh, are they constantly making innovations to make the data easier for you, to make it more secure for you? Not just, well, yeah, so not just secure, but easier for you to, you know, access. Are they maintaining good integrity? You know, the in security, we have what's called the CIA triad, which is, you know, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. You want a data storage provider that does uh, all three of those. Another thing you want is somebody who offers two-factor or multi-factor. I need to clarify that because I didn't really talk about the difference between the two in previous episodes. With two-factor, 
there is a difference between two-factor and multi-factor and you know this is probably not actually the right episode to go into this in detail long story short you want them to provide multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication either way you want either one uh, multi-factor better than two-factor authentication but either one good but the main point is you're wanting to have a second thing you have to do when signing in just as that extra layer of security and again if you can get someone who does multi-factor not just two-factor that's even better but that is a security measure that takes five minutes to set up it can save you weeks of headaches should your company company ever deal with people trying to attack it again five minutes of a minor headache to help avoid and again to help it's not the end all fix all but to help avoid what could be a massive loss if you were ever breached another important thing is the ability to give different permissions to different folders uh, not everyone needs access to everything. You know, this is something that's very important is you want to make sure that, you know, Bob and accounting can't get to Susie's files and marketing or vice versa. In fact, actually, probably more the other way around. You want to, you know, you want to make sure very carefully who can get into accounting, who can get into HR and payroll, you know, who can get to the president of the company's files, you know, any kind of executive level files. You really want to make sure those that data is stored somewhere safe. And the thing is, you want to, you really want to create walls around your data, not just one. You don't just want, I mean, obviously you want one big wall around your data to when it comes to external people. But internally, sometimes you need to create walls. Not everybody needs access to everything. In fact, uh, it's called the principle of least privilege. The idea being you want to give people, there's a, this is a concept in IT security. You want to give people just enough permission to do their job and no more. Um, you want to make sure that this kind of goes into that as well. You want to make sure that the provider has a controlled external guest access, has controlled external guest access. You know what? I get it. The providers get it. At some point, you're probably going to need a way to, uh, you know, access your, uh, have somebody who's not a part of the company access your data. And it can be very critical that they do that. So you need some way to make sure they have access to that data. So you get their email address and this is typically how it works for most systems and you send them an invite but you want to make sure that that provider not only can give them a guest access but you can control it like say hey this guest can only view or this guest can only comment or this guest can uh, view but not download or this guest has full control access he can edit he or she can edit and you know an update and upload and download and everything you know whatever level of control you want them to have you want to make sure that they've got this, whatever you provider you have has got uh, good controls over that. You know, there's uh, data loss prevention controls. You want to make sure that uh, that it, you, there are controls in place to help prevent you losing data and, you know, things like versioning and backups and things like that. You know, you want to have whatever different things in place to make sure that's also uh, feasible. Um, auditing and logging. Here's an important one. You know, you want to make sure you can look back at a document and see the who, what, when, why, and how, you know, it did, did this person touch this document? Did this person alter this document? Was this document downloaded? And if so, by who? And was, you know, oh, hey, there's a document we don't recognize. Well, who uploaded it? You know, et cetera. You want to have that because you want to know the story of your document's journey. You would be surprised how often in IT we get at questions of, hey, can you see who accessed this? Hey, can you see who touched this? Hey, can you see who edited this? You know, it, it's a very frequent question we get in IT. Um, it helps to, you know, detect malicious, 
you know, edits or deletions. Let's say you have a client, you know, this is worst case scenario here. Let's say you have an employee that decides to maliciously edit a document or delete a document for whatever reason. You want to be able to see that. You want to be able to go back and go, hang on a second. Why did Greg update this? Or why did Susie delete this? You know, whatever. You want to make sure that they can go back through. You can go back through and you can tell people the story of where your document was from start to finish. You never want to be stuck in a situation where you don't know what happened to your documents or why why something happened to your documents. Another thing is version history. You might, hey, you might all of a sudden decide, shoot, you know, I made an edit to something, but shoot, I, I need to revert that and I can't revert it in whatever software I'm editing it. Can we go back a day or two? And that version history is important. I There's so many times I've had people in different, you know, as I've worked in different companies come to me and say, hey, we need to go back after that document. We need to go a couple days back. I've even had, oh gosh, there was one document. We went back two months to an edit because they needed to reference something. And it's just one of those things where you never know. But sometimes those little things will save your life. And uh, it's good to make sure that you have, you know, all these things we've listed here. Make sure that whoever's providing your data, you know, cloud data storage, actually, and I want to clarify this, not, this is all important, not just for cloud data storage, for on-prem, if you host a file server, a lot of this applies there too. In fact, pretty much all this applies. If you, if you want to have good file storage on site, like on a server, you want to have this too. But especially if you're starting out, sometimes it's simpler to start out with a cloud provider and you're not paying, you know, you're not having to buy all your own hardware. You're just paying them for access to their hardware to store it on. And, you know, as you kind of look at it, I want to give you a couple of, so those are the things you want to look at as in for what to look for in a provider. Now, a lot of these may not affect you, but I want to at least briefly touch on them because they are important to know. Because you can have nonprofits and ministries that work in all kinds of fields. So, for example, uh, you know, I want to cover a couple of top regulatory compliance laws. And again, this is very basic, but I just want you to at least be aware of them. So, for example, there's HIPAA that everybody's heard about, um, which is healthcare. There's FERPA, F E R P A, which is education. There's GLBA, which is private data. And there's PCI-DSS, which is credit cards. Now, here's something about PCI, and I want to just stop on this one for a second. And again, I am not the all-in-all authority on this, but just here's some information. PCI especially is important if you collect and manage credit card data on your own servers. Now... Again, I won't say there aren't instances where you store them in a cloud place, but as far as I know, the main thing you have to think about with PCI, and again, I'm not the definitive answer on this, so do your own research a little bit on this. But to the extent of my understanding on this, with PCI, you wanna, you're really mostly looking at data that you're storing, whether it's actually in the cloud, and this is something I need to clarify to you, whether it's in the cloud, on a physical on-prem server, on a computer, wherever you would store this credit card information, you have to be... PCI compliance. And again, I would recommend you go and do some research. Now, if you use, for example, like maybe QuickBooks Online, to my understanding, to store credit card data for some reason, let's say one of those, or maybe like Square, if you're taking point of sale, things like that, to my understanding, you don't have to be because the vendor, that vendor is, and if it's you there, if you're storing the data on their systems, on their servers, you know, using their cloud provider offering then you're fine. But if not, then you have to pay attention to that. 
And, you know, it's important to just make sure you make that distinction. Now, I know I brought up a couple of terms just a minute ago that I want to circle back around to, which is PII and PHI. Now, what is PII? It is personally identifiable information. It's any representation of information that permits the identity of an individual to whom the information applies to be reasonably inferred by either direct or indirect means. Main thing is that it's just stuff we can identify you by. And I got this from uh, an article on NIST.gov, NIST.gov. Here's the short version. PII, some of the things PII can be, according to an article I'd gotten from PIWIK.pro, is full name, home address, email address, social security number, passport number, driver's license number, credit card number, birthday, date of birth, telephone number, own properties, for example, VIN, uh, your VIN number, login details, processor, or device serial number, media access control number, IP addresses, device IDs, and cookies. Now, here's the thing. Again, I'm not, I'm not the best security expert out there, but one thing I know about some of these is I believe some of these start becoming PI when they could become linked to you. Like you can look up a VIN online and learn about the car, but it won't tell you anything about the owner. The minute you do that, I believe is when it starts becoming more PII is when you can link it to an owner. So like maybe your car dealership, for example, would have to store this data with some level because they probably have that VIN number tied to you somewhere in their system saying, oh, this VIN number was bought by this guy, etc. And again, do a little bit of your own research. Again, I'm not, I am not by any means anywhere close to a definitive uh, spring of wisdom on, you know, a lot of the security stuff, but I want to at least put this information in front of you so that way you can start doing some of the research yourself. Another one is PHI. PHI is protected health information. Is information according to, this is from berkeley.edu, is any information in the medical record or designated record set that can be used to identify an individual and that was created, used, disclosed in the course of providing healthcare services such as diagnosis or treatment. And there's more to this, but that at least gives the the short version. It can be names, uh, street addresses, phone numbers, fax numbers, uh, email addresses, social security numbers, medical record numbers, health plan beneficiary numbers, account numbers, certificate and license numbers, VIN numbers, serial numbers, including license plates, driver's identification and serial numbers, uh, web URLs, IP addresses, biometric identifiers such as voice, print, and finger, full face photogra- photographic images, any other kind of identifying number, characteristic, or code. The main thing is, again, thinking about it links back to you. For example, not every URL will suddenly link back to you, but if a URL can become linked back to you, then it may fall under PHI. You see, that's the thing is, that's why I say this is not something you can explain in a five minute conversation. There's a lot of depth to this, but I want to give you guys again, just to start thinking about the data you handle every day. You know, the information you might collect on, on your supporters, on clients, on your employees, whatever it is, and start thinking about, hey, where am I storing this? Am I storing it even remotely securely? Do I need to have somebody else store it through like maybe an HR system or an accounting system or something else? You know, do I need to put that data in somewhere else safer? But the main thing is you want to just be thinking about the safety of your data as it's being stored. You know, it's, it's very important to think about that because you never know when your data storage become a compromise and those compromises can cost you a lot. 
I've been, I've, I've, you know, I've been through different situations at different companies involving data loss. And let me tell you, there's never such a thing when you have it on a company scale, typically, I can't say never very often. It's a very expensive thing and it will scale with the size of your company. The bigger your company is, the more you will feel it because if it happens company wide, the bigger you are, the more things it affects. So I just want to put that out for you. Just some things to think about. This is a little bit of a shorter episode today, but again, I just wanted to give you some stuff to think about that as you start storing your data and as you start collecting data and as you start making, you know, new data and new documents, things like that, think about where they're being stored. Think about where you're, you know, storing them. Uh, think about what provider you're using. What are they offering? Are they being secure? Are you being secure with it? You know, do you have two factor enabled things like that? Just really take some time to sit down, look over those things and, uh, you know, just really assess it because again i've been through more than one situation where there was data lost and i'll tell you it's something you don't want to have to go through it's really not something you want to go through so i hope this information helped you guys uh if you want to you know stay up to date you know you can check us out online bitsandbibles.com you can find us on a lot of most a good chunk of social medias uh at the handle at bitsandbibles.com or sorry at bitsandbibles and then again of course bitsandbibles.com Um, thanks guys for listening and uh, we'll see you next week.